Thank you, Jen. Appreciate it. Great job. Great job, worship team. That was great. And uh, thank you for being here. Welcome. We're glad to have you here in person as well as uh, those of you who are joining us online. I love to worship together and for us to be together. Amen? Last week, we were together. How many of you made it to Lake Day last Sunday? Yes. Yes, we had uh, around 300 people there at Lake Day out at Clark's Bay last Sunday, and it was a great turnout and a great day, and uh, we got to celebrate nine people being baptized. That was awesome. Yes. Congratulations, Ella and Ethan Carlson, who were baptized last Sunday, as well as Hans Roman. Uh, we loved and enjoyed the opportunity to celebrate with you and to be with you. And we even squeezed lunch in and some fun before the storm hit in the afternoon. It was, it was a great time together. Uh, before I get started in the series that we're kicking off today, I did want to make an announcement uh, that a decision that us elders made, the eldership team made. As you know, our senior leader, J.R. Quigley, has been on sabbatical, and uh, initially he was given an eight-week sabbatical, and yet we found it well to extend that and to give him more of that. We really do believe that revelation comes through rest. And so we extended that time for him and are believing for great things to come of it. And uh, uh, we believe in JR and Janie and uh, want to give them that time and extend that through Labor Day weekend uh, into September. So uh, the plan was they would have joined us at Lake Day and uh, been there and yet uh, they were grateful for the opportunity and didn't think twice about it. So uh, after Labor Day weekend, uh, they'll be back with us and joining us then. But today, I'm uh, grateful to kick off a series that will take us even past that. Uh, today, we're looking, beginning a series uh, called Things Jesus Never Said. Things Jesus Never Said. Sometimes it's helpful to look at what people did say to, in order to find truth, but sometimes it's also just as helpful to look at the things that maybe they never said that somehow has worked its way into our thinking, our believing, even sometimes at church, I will admit sometimes it's hard to tell what Jesus said and what I or someone else is speaking or saying. I don't know about your Bible or your Bible app that you may have on your phone, but in my Bible, there's two different colors of print. This one has red print for the words that Jesus actually said. It can be helpful. And then the other words, which are still God's holy word and words from God are in black font, obviously, but the words of Jesus are in red font in this Bible. And so kind of in that same way, what we're dissecting and looking at this morning are things that have been said, but did Jesus really say them? In order to do that, if you have a Bible with you or an app in front of you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we will... Uh, begin this morning. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, does anybody here, and I'd like your participation with a show of a raise of hands, does anybody here know somebody else who's annoying on Facebook? Anybody? Some of you are pretty quick to raise your hands. I'm going to ask that question again. Your participation. Does anybody know someone who's really annoying on Facebook? All right, look around for just a moment. If your hand's not up, either you don't have Facebook or you might be that annoying person if you don't know anybody else. All right? Here's some things Jesus did not say. Like, come, follow me. 
on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Jesus didn't say that. I got one smile and a laugh over here. I'll take it. Jesus didn't say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they post. He didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, fool me once, I'll forgive you. Fool me twice and I'll be sure to give you more than you can handle. Jesus didn't say that. Sorry you've sinned too much for me to forgive you. I can forgive everyone else, but I can't forgive you. Jesus never said that. Doesn't matter what we believe, it doesn't matter what we think, doesn't matter what people said. Sometimes it is very helpful to separate what did Jesus say, what did Jesus not say, in order to better understand what he really was saying and speaking to us. That's what we're doing this morning. I'm thankful that God hasn't treated us that way. I'm thankful. How how about you? I'm thankful that my Bible says God freely forgives our sins. There's not a measuring line or stick. It's really clear. We can't earn it. We can't win it. We can't manufacture it. He wants to freely forgive us, and he wants to lead us in forgiveness in that way. In Matthew chapter 6, if you've turned to it, you've probably seen that it's the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we're going to spend time this morning is the Sermon on the Mount. But the people who are gathered there at the Mount while Jesus is speaking, they think that they're learning about prayer. And Jesus is. He's teaching them about prayer. And yet he has some postscript on the very subject that we're looking at this morning of what Jesus said about forgiveness. There's a little PS note at the end of him teaching about prayer And he says some things about forgiveness. Picking up in verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. And you've probably heard this before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. How many have heard that before? You've probably heard that, right? But the words there say that he's teaching us how to pray. He's not telling us what to pray. He's teaching us his heart for prayer. He's imparting his heart and a help to us to begin to pray. In the following verses, Jesus is not saying to just forgive us, Father, for our debts. Despite my grudges against others, forgetting my faults or the hurts done towards me, forgive me. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I will forgive you, but you don't have to forgive others. Jesus never said, I will forgive you, but you don't need to forgive them. Who's them? We're going to look at that a little bit more this morning. But Jesus never said, I'm going to forgive you, but you don't need to forgive them. And yet, it is part of our struggle, forgiving them. Jesus does say this in verse 12. 
And forgive us our debts, teaching us how to pray, as we also have forgiven our debtors. His additional thoughts on prayer after prayer follow about just that topic, forgiveness. For if you forgive, verse 14, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. I leave that long, quiet pause because I think one may have followed on that mount that day. That's what Jesus said. Wow. Some sobering yet piercing words. Again, Jesus never said, you don't need to forgive them. I had a similar type of God moment like that, that I can picture the hush over the crowd that was gathered there on the Sermon on the Mount and maybe a pause that existed to let that sink in. I can remember sharing with a man who was a former elder here at Mount Helena Community Church and a man who became like a second father figure to me, someone who uh, to this day my kids call Grunkle because it's confusing. Is he more like a brother to me? It's so an uncle for, for them. Or a father, therefore a grandfather to him. So they call him Grunkle. But I remember, I'm going to share this story in a little bit. I remember sharing some pain that I had and something that I was dealing with and some anger and some bitterness that I was dealing with, though I wasn't calling it that. I had it colored much better than that. But Jay was very patient and understanding and listening to me. And he said something to me after I finished talking, he said something to me that just brought a hush and it just kind of had to pierce and settle into my heart as a young teenage man. He said, well, I, I think you're just going to have to forgive him. You mean you listen to me and that's what you have to say. I didn't have anything to say. It was the truth I needed to hear. I didn't want to hear it at the moment, but it's what he said. And he didn't say anything else. But it was something that I absorbed and needed to absorb. And it sat in there. I wasn't ready to forgive. I didn't forgive this person that day. But in that moment, he spoke a truth that needed to be spoken. And it set inside of me. Anytime we here at Mount Helena talk about forgiving others, there's lots of emotion. It creates and reminds us of the emotion and the feelings that we have, like I was communicating with Jay that day. And it's rightfully so. You may be sitting there thinking, but you, Jason, you don't, you don't know what others have done to me. You don't know what someone did to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story. Some of you sitting here may have a spouse who's cheated on you before. Some of you may have a best friend who's lied to you and it really destroyed your friendship or your relationship. Maybe someone that you loved or you admired that you invested a lot of time in your relationship Maybe they let you down beyond just disappointment, 
beyond inconvenience. Maybe someone didn't pay you what they owed you, even what they agreed to. And after that one time, you never heard from them again because they wanted to avoid you and they didn't want to follow through with what they owed you. Maybe someone broke a promise. Worse, maybe someone used you for their own benefit. Many of us in this room have devoted a significant part of our life as young people trying to win our parents' approval. In some cases, to find they weren't emotionally available. They couldn't say the words that as a young person you felt like you needed to hear and that you wanted to hear from your parents. Some of the most hurtful hurt is when someone who is supposed to be protecting you and watching out for you and guarding you, when they're the ones that hurt you. It's some of the most painful hurt to get over emotional or physical or spiritual or sexual hurt. And it creates some of the most, the deepest unforgiveness. Some of the deepest scars that to this day, if they're pricked or they're touched or disturbed, some of them will bleed just like the first day that wound was made. I felt like I was communicating out of that kind of hurt with my friend Jay. I felt probably even every bit as mad as I did the day the incident happened or occurred, if not worse, when I was sharing with him and he said, I think you're just going to have to forgive them. But I want to say that I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. I don't want Jesus' words to be misunderstood. I have no intention of dismissing or passing over whatever hurt that you have, that you're carrying, whatever wound that's been created. I know that my I'm sorry is not enough. But in no way do I think is Jesus and the words that he has to say about forgiveness is an intention to pass over, to belittle, to dismiss, or discourage you in your hurt. It's meant to set you free. That forgiveness is about your freedom. It's not about being mean. It's not about doing something that's not possible for you to do. But I want to acknowledge your pain this morning. I'm not telling you that your pain doesn't matter. It matters. But I want to ask the question, how in the world do you forgive the things that seem so unforgivable in your own life. As brutal as it is to endure a personal betrayal or abuse, sometimes the worst pain for other people are seeing the pain or the atrocities or the hurt or the wounds that someone causes someone else. Sometimes it's more difficult than their own pain that they've experienced. But to witness or see or hear of the abuse of someone else, someone that you love and that you care for and that you want to protect and be there for, and the disappointment 
that happens with that kind of abuse. Still in our nation, still in Montana, human trafficking is a huge problem. Still in our county, Lewis and Clark County, still in Helena, Montana, human trafficking is too big of a problem for sexual exploitation. It's not okay. Statistically, more of us in this room at this moment have been abused and taken advantage by people who were supposed to protect us, by people who were supposed to be watching out for us. This last week in Belt, Montana, just the next county, in Cascade County, a little six-year-old girl was nearly abducted by a man in a park who tried to swipe her off of her bike. Thank God. Praise God. She fought him off. She called attention to the situation, and he got scared, and he left her alone. But the man's not caught. She's not going to be the last one. But praise God. She made it out of her situation and was not abducted. The pain I'm going to share that I was sharing with Jay that day doesn't compare to some of the pain that you represent sitting here today. But in a moment, I was a sophomore in high school. And we were on a fun weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend. And it was a four-rodeo run. And we were, we were in a town here in Montana. And I had just competed. And I was actually behind the buck and shoots. And I was packing up my gear bag when I heard a ruckus out in front of the bucking chutes and something was going on, but it wasn't, obviously wasn't a bull. It wasn't a steer or a calf or a bucking horse. Nobody was in the arena, except I looked over and I saw my father in this intense situation that obviously was a fight that was breaking out. And my father, in his mid-50s at that time, was being spun around by a gargantuan man. I'll refer to as Max. It's not his name. But he spun my father around and he, and he asked him if he was who he, who he was. He asked him by name, are you Ben? And as soon as my dad answered in confusion and not sure what's up, this man much bigger, almost two times the size of my father, this man who was obviously much younger, up to a major advantage, didn't speak any other words, didn't explain himself, didn't ask any other questions. He just proceeded to clobber him. And to knock him down in front of the buck and shoots and knock him to the ground and beat him down. I was a young person. I was a sophomore. Instantly, unexpectedly, in a moment that was fun and it was joy and was adrenaline, was a sense of success. In a moment, it was changed by something unexpectedly happening just a few feet from me. To this day, I'll remember I was packing up my gear bag there and why there was, I don't know. But there was a one inch and a half piece of black iron pipe laying right there near my gear bag that I'm telling you was tempting to me to pick up. I'm behind the man, and I have an advantage in a moment like he took advantage of my father. I'm grateful to this day. As much anger, as much rage was flowing inside of me in that moment, Despite who I was trying to be, a Christ follower, even at a young age, someone who was responsible for his actions and who wanted to be held accountable 
In that moment, I didn't even feel like that I could be those things. That pipe was laying there, and it seemed like it was for me to pick up. Yet, two of my friends that are comfortable with me saying it now were very worldly friends at the time, but they were my two closest buddies. They knew what kind of person I wanted to be and the way I was living my life and the way I was walking, and both of them put a hand on me and restrained me because they, they knew what I was thinking. They didn't let me be what they would have glad to have been in that moment. Had they not been there, I don't know if I'd have picked up that piece of pipe or not. But in a moment of hurt and love and care for someone else, something can spark and it can take off. For me, it turned into a series of years of bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. To this day, Max doesn't know who I am. He hasn't connected it to the same situation. He doesn't know my struggle over the last couple of years to see him, to continue to see him and the feelings that I have, that I was sitting down and confessing and sharing with Jay one day. And his response was, you're just going to have to forgive him one day. Part of me wanted to say, really? And another part of me wanted to say, what I couldn't say. You're right. I didn't forgive him that day. It took quite some time. But I was able to forgive him. I was able to move past it. Again, to this day, he doesn't know who I am. But I was delighted the day I could continue to proclaim his forgiveness and walk out freedom for myself and for him, even right here in this auditorium, when his family were sitting right where you are sitting, listening to me up front. And Jesus says, you need to forgive. Even them. Even them. How in the world do we forgive something that seems unforgivable. I know maybe unless you're me, as a young person, a young teenager with raging emotions and feelings and I don't know about addicted, but very up for any sort of adrenaline challenge. (laughs) That was very difficult and that was tough and challenging. Jesus gives us clues. I'm going to go back to Matthew 6, 9. He gives us clues to help bring us out of unforgiveness into forgiveness. In verse 9 it says, This then is how you should pray. And he says, Our Father. Can you say that with me? Repeat with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but when I was a kid, my parents didn't operate the same as my buddy's parents. And we had ways of getting our way with each set of parents. But it would be like, oh, with, no, that won't work with my parents. Good idea, but no, I'm canceling that idea. With my parents, but Jesus isn't even speaking that way. He doesn't say with my father. When you pray, pray like this. Let me show you how to pray. Our father. He doesn't say my father. Our father. Our heavenly father. I love that. He had every right to say my father. 
but he's sharing him with us. Our relationships with God's other children deeply matters to him. God doesn't just care that we value who he is. I don't care. I don't just care that my kids value me and love me and care for me as their father. I care about how they get along. How many parents agree with me? Some of the most hurtful pain is with the ones that we love and that we care for, that we have a responsibility for and to support and to protect. And when they turn on each other, it's ugly. He touched me! (laughs) Nothing like a road trip. He crossed the line! There's a wall here and you're across! And it just turns ugly, doesn't it? It gets under my skin so fast as I'm driving and trying to figure out what exit I'm hitting and mom's trying to take care of things and keep conversation under control and yet in the back seat they're just ramping up and ramping up, right? We care as parents how they treat one another, right? So does our heavenly father. And he's saying it does matter. You want to enter into worship with me? You have to be willing to walk across the room and forgive your brother and your sister. If you want to bring me worship, you have to value your forgiveness in me as well as your forgiving of others. That's what he's trying to tell us. At the same time, there's nothing that makes me more proud than even like this weekend, my number three, Evelyn, being on the bed of her older sister and laying on her bed with her, talking about life, giving her maybe middle school advice as Evelyn's getting ready to enter middle school and her love and her care and being able to shut things off, Snapchat, Twitter, and being able able to look at her younger sister in the eye and impart and love on her and care for her. There's nothing that makes a parent more proud. When they love each other, when they honor and they cherish each other like you do, and God's like, you can do it. I love it when my kids are loving the way I want to be loving my wife and the example that I'm trying to show them and the way that I love, honor, and cherish my wife. And he's saying, you bet it's important. Your pain does matter. And so does forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, he's saying, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Unforgiveness hurts him. It hurts him first. It pains the father. And unforgiveness is painful to the unforgiver. And unforgiveness is painful to the unforgiven. For me, in that instant, I found even times as a young person, as a young teenager, I'd be angry about something else and I'd have a quick association. I'd have a quick draw. Why would Max pop up in my mind? Why would my feelings get mixed up? Even my feelings towards my younger brother. My feelings towards the hurt that my 
own father or my mother caused me, why would Max get mixed into the situation? There was a soul tie there. And the longer I packed that tie around, the longer that I packed Max and my unforgiveness with him along with me, the more complicated forgiveness or unforgiveness was going to get for me. And Jay was absolutely right in saying nothing more. You're going to have to forgive him. There's nothing right in it. What he did is not right. There's no way to repair it. There's no way to fix it. It's unexcusable. He had all the details mixed up. Your father didn't deserve any of it. And yet, even if you confronted him with it, what could he do to fix it? As it turned out, my dad was laying there on the arena floor and his eye was, was broken and it was bleeding down his face laying there in the dirt and the confusion and trying to fi- figure out why it happened or why he deserved what had just happened. And my dad chose to stuff it and not make a big deal of it. And as a young person, I felt like it was so wrong. I felt like that big jerk needed accountability. He needed to be held accountable for his actions. He needed to make something right and face his own wrongness. I had these kinds of things just fueling me. My dad stuffed it. And he showed me through that how to stuff it myself. And I tried to stuff it. I tried to stuff it for numerous years And I was just grateful for a long extended period of time. I didn't see Max. I didn't run into him. But when I did run into him, that's what brought about the conversation with Jay. And he knew that I was still hurting over it, that it still was not good. And he didn't like the look in my eye when I saw Max. Because I had thought I was covering a wound. But when I would see him, it's like the blood would just start running again in that wound. And it was like, Jason, you've got to deal with the wound. He can't make it right. He's not going to be able to make it right. Your dad's eye can't be fixed. As it turned out, my dad's eye was damaged and torn so bad it was permanently damaged. And there was nothing that he could do. He did do a surgical procedure to try and help it, but it didn't didn't fix the situation. Nothing could fix the situation except for forgiveness. I did decide, as I said, to forgive him. I'm grateful for what God has done with it since, and I haven't had the same feelings whatsoever at all. And when I do see him, and I do get to see his family, there's a joy. It's messed up, but it's heaven here on earth. There's a joy that rises up inside of me for what God's done, for what God's doing, and what God still wants to do in our relationship and our friendship. And I'm just saying outside of the cross, Outside of the work of Jesus Christ, it would make no sense. It would make as little sense as the parable that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 18 of the unmerciful servant. Where the servant had come to his master and to the king. Who he had owed the equivalent of 200,000 years of a day laborer's wages, a debt that could not be paid in his or many others' lifetime. 
And the servant asked for forgiveness. He asked for mercy. He asked for a chance to not go behind bars the rest of his life and to be able to pay back whatever he could in order to get it from the king, from the master who said, all right, go, as you say. And yet, a servant of his comes to him and only owes him a hundred days worth of wages. A hundred days, something that he could easily do in his lifetime. And the first servant wouldn't forgive him. Would not forgive him. And he had him turned over to the jailers and put behind bars and wanted him to stay there until he had paid him back. And some of the other servants heard the story and they heard what was happening in Jesus' parable. And they went to the king and how do you think the king reacted? Jesus is telling us, In a similar way, the kingdom of God is like this. We all owe him a greater debt than we could ever pay with our life. It had to be paid with a life, the life of Jesus Christ that was perfect, that was infallible, that forgave even in Luke chapter 23 when Jesus was on the cross and his evildoers, his enemies were right there before him, crucifying him on a cross, continued to play the game. In Luke 23, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they continued by dividing up his clothes and casting lots for them. Jesus was so good at forgiving. He had forgiveness in his heart in the midst of what they were doing and the wrong that he was enduring to make a way for you and I to forgive. To make a way for us to get unstuck from our own unforgiveness, to put the key into our hands and say, will you please, will you forgive the way I've forgiven you? The key's in your hands. I've made the way. You're the prisoner. Unlock the door, but it's going to be up to you. I can't do it for you. I've done everything else. I've descended the depths of Hades and I've put the key in your hands. Will you forgive? Because it really matters. You've built this prison You've built your own cell with your bitterness, with your rage, and with your anger. And if you want to worship me, you have to open up your heart and forgive as well. What is prayer? Prayer is a God-honoring place to start and to begin. You may be hearing me and saying, Jason, well, I'm still not there yet. I'm kind of like you. At 15 or whatever age I was, I'm still full of rage and anger and I'm not ready to forgive, but I hear what you're saying. And I think Jesus is really leading them in saying, then pray. Then pray. You know what changed my heart for Max? When I actually began to believe that maybe I could forgive him and when I'd see him, that I would pray for him, my heart, it changed me. It didn't change him. It didn't change his behaviors. And then through that, I began to realize, you know why he's so hurtful? Why he's so full of rage, the same rage I'm struggling with? Why he lashes out at people? Because he's been hurt. He's hurting people because he's been hurt. Do I really want to continue participating in that and carrying that? Because that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm, that's the temptation of the pipe, is to continue it. Versus to acknowledge God in his ways. Resist the enemy. 
and helping him flee in our life. So is really God that mean when he's asking us to forgive? If we're hung up on meanness, on God being mean, we misunderstand God. We misunderstand God wanting to get us out of prison and to walk a life of forgiveness that's meant to set us free. I like the way Andy Stanley says it. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. When you understand that, forgiveness gets a lot easier. As a parent, I want to be someone who understands that. That when my kids finally get out enough courage to look at me and say, Dad, I'm sorry. I want to be the undeserving soul that understands that soul and says, absolutely, son. I've done a lot of things wrong myself. I absolutely do forgive you, and I want what's best for you. I hope that I've encouraged you in some way this morning. I realize you may not be able to understand or excuse me, you may not be able to forgive someone this morning. I just want to help move you closer to it because God wants that for you. I kind of want to be before you this morning like Jay was before me, and I want to speak some things that Jesus did say. They are possible, and they are true. I want to get rid of some of the untruth that some of us believe in, some of the sayings, some of the things to ourself that we believe in. Some steps that have helped me to forgive is like I said, to remember that they are hurting because they have hurt others and others have hurt them. I'm sorry, I twisted that around. (laughs) They're hurting others because they have been hurt themselves. But I also had to admit with Jay that it was my own pride and my own justification, how I felt like that person needed to get what I thought they deserved that kept me from forgiving them. It prevents us, our own pride prevents us from forgiving. But I also want to say that your self is no exception. Some of us need to be able to forgive ourselves. We're the ones who have done ourselves wrong and there's things that we need to get over. And Jesus says to us, you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive. And I want you to remember that you're not doing it alone. When you walk out forgiveness, Jesus Christ is with you. It may be some of the closest moments in your life. Pain and hurt and heartache is in our life. It's in my marriage at times, in our conversations, in our communication, in my missteps, in my wrongdoing to my wife. They're a part of my life that my wife and I would actually grow closer together. It's not to grow us further apart. I just need to get over myself and my pride and cooperate. On the other side, God has nothing but love and forgiveness for us. As we finish, there's a prayer team available. If you'd like to talk with anybody, they're here to listen. If you'd like someone to pray with you or actually to pray for you, that's what they're here for. 
I hope in some way you're urged, pushed, encouraged to forgive because it matters. has everything to do not with God's meanness towards you, but with God's freedom for you. Father, we come before you and I know in my heart and in, other, in the hearts of others in this room, God, we want to yield to your truths. We want to sidestep the walls that we've put up for ourselves. And God, we want to cling to what you want for our life. God, I know that you, you may, you've made a way for us and you've showed us the way. God, I pray that you help us not dismiss the words this morning. You help us not dismiss the things that you definitely did say. And that, God, if we can't walk out forgiveness today, then you would actually just bring us closer to being able to. Show us, show us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.